welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. Uh, I know, I know. It's been too long. That's how it goes. Um, there's several of you saying, what the hell, dude? You know, we had to listen to a bunch of other bullcrap podcasts for a while. But I know, I know. That's what has to happen. It's, uh, I don't know, yesterday I made a post on Facebook. I posted uh, my big my Bigfoot um, kettlebell. And a saying that I that I really uh, that I really believe in something that me and Rogan actually talked about. Um, we talked about just the fact of you know when you're in the when you're in the workout mentality and you're really you know whether you're practicing with your bow or whether you're working out or whether you're really into running. Like once you get that momentum going, it's just part of your routine. You're just grinding. You're doing it. You're loving it. You feel really good and everything about you know what's going on. But then all of a sudden, if you stop, that you lose that momentum pretty fast too. A lot of times, it's just that that first little bit of really getting motivated and getting going that's the hardest part. And with me being gone for over three weeks to Europe, uh, which I'll get into that subject here in a little bit, uh, you know, it's just it was difficult with my schedule to work out very much over there. I did uh, pretty much like once a week. Uh, I was able to, but my schedule and my days were just so long that uh, by the time with my family all being there with me as well, you know, I couldn't get done with the training session and then be able to just, normally I would coach a team or work with the kids and then either at first light or at last light, I would go out and run um, or hit a, you know, find a gym, get a taxi to a gym and work out. But um, just to kind of relieve my stress, but I've got family that's just waiting 12, 13 hours a day for me to come back. So uh, I just wasn't able to do it. And I got back and yesterday when I got in the gym, I just felt like everything was um, marked wrong on the weights. I felt like everything was twice as heavy as what it was. And, uh, you know, I ended up posting this picture of my kettlebell or it's actually a kettlebell that's it on it. And uh, I just put uh, a saying on there that's that's really good. It just says, momentum is a cruel mistress. She can turn on you at the dime with the smallest mistake. And she's ever searching for the weak place in your armor, that one tiny thing that you forgot to prepare for. So I just really feel like my momentum was uh, lacking, so to speak. I, I freaking, uh, I left for Europe really focused, had been shooting, had been working out really hard. Um, I was just really, really happy. I was in like phenomenal. I felt like I could do an elk hunt like right then without a problem. Um, I, I was totally prepared and really that's one thing that stresses me out when I know that I have a big schedule um, and when I'm going to be working with a lot of people. The last thing I want to do, you know, it's kind of like um, my buddy Kyle um, my buddy Kyle right now, and you can find him on Instagram. I'll just share him with you. If you're into like some hard rock stuff, um, you know, he, he's, his name is, uh, well, his 
his handle is Kyle underscore Vimic, V-I-M-I-C. Um, but it's Kyle Conkeel, and he's a bass player for Vimic. Uh, he's played bass for a lot of different people, but this is like super hardcore band. He'll actually, the band actually is going to be playing here in Des Moines um, next week, and I'll be there too. So if you want to go, I might as well just give the band a shout out. Uh, the concert's on the 26th of August in Des Moines, and uh, these guys have some sweet tunes. Um, he's actually a new archer learning to shoot. We'll probably do a podcast and a live feed when he's here because um, I actually had him send his bow. Um, so I've got his bow. I'm going to you know, get him all dialed in with that and give him some archery lessons and stuff. And then I'm actually going to cook for the band. I know that those guys are eating some. I can't stand seeing their uh i kind of follow those people on their on their live feeds and you know when i see them uh in their in their warm-up room or in their waiting room with golden corral uh plastic forks and knives it's killing me man so i've got uh i've got a full axis backstrap that is sitting out that i'm aging right now for the next few days i'm gonna slow cook that and then i'm gonna do um some pulled pork butts and some ribs for these guys. Um, I'm super jacked just to be back for some, some, I shouldn't say real meat because the meat in Switzerland, Italy is phenomenal. It's really good. Um, but it's crazy expensive. I almost took a picture. There's a, for two chicken breasts, it was $12. Um, it was $12 for, uh, one pound of ground hamburger meat. Um, we averaged every time we went out eight, you know, it was 200 bucks, no matter, you could literally, uh, we pulled over to like kind of just a little bar that was on the side of a park and it was still like 170 bucks for us to eat. You know, pizzas are like $25. If you do get a steak or something, it's close to 40 bucks and, uh, it's expensive over there, but the meat was good, but the whole time I was just thinking, man, I wish I had a big old Axis backstrap or one of these Boston butts or something. I just I wanted to smell that Traeger smoke blowing around, but I, I couldn't. Um, but yeah, these guys are coming into town. I'm going to cook for them. We're going to do some shooting, teach some archery. Um, but these guys are, you know, you got to be, you got to want to bang your head if you're going to listen to Vimic. You're definitely not going to um, be doing anything slow with with them. You know, if you're in a shoot off round and you're like really trying to stabilize your front pin and and be be all stable and keep your heart rate down, it's probably not what you want on your uh, playlist. Um, but in saying that, uh, James has them like to start off his playlist for his workouts because it's like they'll freaking shake the dust out of your brain, um, which is good. But uh, for this podcast, I guess I want to just give you a little bit of a recap. Uh, had a great coaching session in Switzerland. Also did some traveling through Italy as well. Worked some, with some people there uh, privately. Uh, met a really cool dude. Um, that that's been bow hunting about 30 years over there, which is fairly rare in Europe. Um, but he really, uh, I'm actually going to be going over and doing a hunt, um, in the French Alps, uh, for chamois and, or chamois if you're French. 
and uh, not Sham Wow. That's uh, that's obviously an old info commercial, but yeah, uh, Sham Wow. And um, I'm thinking, let's see, there's something else I was going for. Oh, I think I'm going to go. Oh, <laughs> like like this is a small thing to forget. I think we're going to also go for Ibex um, in Spain. It's not that far. Um, so this is the kind of stuff that I'm really excited about. Um, I just, you know, I'm as much as I love our traditional style hunting, I'm just getting to the point where I actually, um, I'm enjoying hunting a little bit less, but doing a little bit funner trips. Um, and I think they'll make really, really interesting episodes too for, uh, the website and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, I've got a few questions here. I'm rolling live while I'm also talking. Um, someone was asking about if I have a video, um, talking about twisting strings to change the, um, to change the peep. So yeah, if you go to the knock on archery YouTube channel, um, in the knocked and ready to rock, um, that's broke down into different ones. Um, the original knocked and ready to rock segment with bow setup. Um, you'll be able to actually, uh, find that in there and you may just be able to, you could probably actually just go to YouTube and search, uh, John Dudley peep tie. I mean, if you do John Dudley peep, peep tie that, yeah, you don't want to do peep show, but yeah. So how to install a peep is NRTR 10. And it says uh, how to install a peep site. So you'll be able to uh, to check that out. It'll be good for you. Um, but I've got a few questions here um, that I might as well dive into. These are all questions from uh, some of you Instagrammers that posted. I'm just going to start at the top. And then what I'll do is uh, over these next few days, I'm going to give you guys a plethora of podcasts as a, a makeup session and uh i'll be able to hopefully get through all these um and then eventually this is going to be something that um the the members to the new uh, website when it's going um are going to be able to you know i think the way it's breaking down like 40 cent 40 percent will be platinum 30 percent will be gold uh 20 percent will be uh silver members and then uh, 10% bronze or something like that. Um, that's kind of how to break down and you'll be able to, some people, uh, platinum members will actually be able to send me three personal messages right to my page. Um, so I'll be able to answer those either on podcasts or directly to back to your personal profile page, uh, which is pretty cool. But, uh, this first question here is, I'm going to see where you're from, dude. You are from Hong Kong. First questions coming from Hong Kong. So, um, you're asking the benefits, uh, let's see. And it's Chan Z Chai, Chan Z Chai. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it, but anyway, uh, benefits of using normal Easton X 10 arrows over pro tours. And why does some compound archers still use the original X 10? So, um, for those of you listening, these arrows are pretty complex. This is an arrow that's arguably, well, it's not even arguable. Uh, the X-10s and the Pro Tours are the most advanced arrows in the world, period. Um, they're the most ballist- They're the most superior ballistically of any arrow that's out there when it comes to wind drift and drag. Um, it's a very small diameter shaft that's aluminum carbon and... 
they're actually the difference between the two is the X10 is thicker in the center and then narrows down on both ends. So it's a it's a full barreled shaft, meaning it's you know thicker in the center, tapers down, so it tapers both ways. Now the Pro Tour or the Pro Tour is actually um, a slightly different shaft in the fact that it's actually it tapers from the front towards the center and then once it hits about where the Easton label is or the Easton logo um, in the center of the shaft then from that point back it's perfectly parallel so in other words um, it's very skinny on the front tapers to still a micro diameter thickness but then from the center part of that arrow all the way to the tail um, it's a consistent parallel shaft so the benefits to this is because the arrows taper down, wherever they taper down from the center point, obviously you have less mass. So you're going to have less drift. You're going to have less surface area. Um, but the key to that is, and these arrows were really pivotal in the U.S. winning the 92 Olympics. Um, I'm sure I said that right. Yeah, the 92 Olympics um, in um, Atlanta. Because at that time... We were one of the only people that had the X10s. Everybody else were just using an ACE, which is also an arrow, arrow that is, you know, a certain thickness in the middle and tapers down at both ends. But the ACE was very light and it was designed for speed. It was really designed to be fast. Um, whereas the X10 was an arrow that George Tekmachoff worked on with, um, you know, kind of the the background of having that super small diameter, um, but then also having more mass weight so that it wasn't affected by wind as much. Now the, um, and the other thing too was it was designed that way because when you're shooting with fingers in a recurve, um, the paradox of your arrow, in other words, the arrow, when you shoot an arrow, it bends um, and it's going to bend in a fashion to where you know, the tail of the arrow bends one direction and the point of the arrow will bend that same direction. And essentially it's creating an arc or a paradox, right? So when you're shooting with fingers, because your fingers are letting go of that string, like for a right-handed shooter, when your fingers let go of the string, it lets go on the right side of the string. The paradox will actually bend to the left. So your point and your tail will bend in towards your fingers but the center portion of the shaft will bend out and as it does that and passes through the bow um, you know you're really trying to minimize the contact as that arrow is passing that arrow rest so by tapering that shaft down you really minimize um, any type of contact and have flawless clearance the other benefit too for the finger shooters is you know when you're a finger shooter and keeping your fingers fairly close together um, you know, it's, you have a totally different feel and how you grab the string, how it separates the fingers. A lot of the recurve shooters, you know, especially the top Olympic style ones, they really like that minimal distance between their fingers, you know, and that's why a lot of them don't change over from, um, an indoor arrow to a outdoor arrow, even though they're shooting indoor archery. Um, because they just, that distance in that split and that gap between the fingers uh, is much different between a thick indoor arrow like a, um, like a super knock versus um, 
versus like, you know, a pin knock or something like that. Um, so they really like that. Plus the speed of that arrow coming off their fingers is different than a, than a slow, heavy arrow as well. So, um, you know, the X10 was really designed specifically for the recurve shooters and having an arrow that was absolutely as superior as possible for the Olympic games and for those types of archers. Um, for my Instagrammers watching, you guys got one minute left and they're going to shut us down. So sorry about that. Um, but then with the, the problem was, um, over the course of a few years, the compound archers quickly realized that the benefits of that arrow are phenomenal. And when you're shooting long distance, having a very thin shaft with, um, very heavy weight is super beneficial the problem was with uh, compound archers, the tail of that arrow, because it narrowed down, the tail of that arrow um, actually was a little bit weak. So when the compound would shoot, because it drives so much force on the tail of that arrow as the, as the arrow goes up and over that, um, that draw curve, you know, your compound bow has let off. So, um, as it, you know, as it does that, um, and it ramps up and shoots that arrow, it puts a lot of pressure on that super narrow, thin part of the back end of that arrow. So what happened was a lot of compound archers were finding, even though the arrow that they had was say a 410 spine, which according to a chart would be enough for that, uh, arrow to, to shoot. The problem was the tail end of that arrow was much limber than what the true spine was kind of reflecting, so to speak, on the chart. So what people started to do was they actually started to remove some of the thin part of the arrow off the back so that they got into the thicker part of the arrow in order to stiffen up the tail of that arrow uh, for the compound cam. Now, the part that gets tricky about that is um, the, the tail of that arrow, as you cut each inch off that tail, it actually multiplies the stiffness of that arrow significantly. So, um, for example, if you take an inch off the front of an arrow, it might only, uh, it might only weaken or stiffen an arrow at, say, um, a rate of X. Well, when you cut inches off the rear of that elbow, uh, arrow, you actually stiffen that arrow at a rate of X times two. So you couldn't really cut a lot off the back without making that arrow extremely stiff very fast. And the other problem was once you got beyond three inches off the back of that, uh, the original X10, the diameter got actually bigger than what the component was that you put in the back of the arrow, which is a little small pin adapter. So the pin adapter that you put in the back of the shaft, it's a certain diameter so that it stays flush with that shaft. So once you cut more than three inches off, well now the actual carbon part of the arrow is bigger around than the pin. Um, so you had kind of an external carbon exposure um, so three inches was the max cut. Now, a lot of people really started to play with this and learn it. And, um, it quickly, you know, people quickly just skyrocketed scores long distance. Um, however, 
The problem was obviously when you're looking at arrows that are almost 300 bucks a dozen uh, for just the shafts, you know, people can't be taking 300 bucks and cutting it into three different types of rear arrow lengths. So um, Easton came out with the Pro Tour. Now the Pro Tour again is an arrow that is still tapered in the front and once it gets to the label, it's perfectly parallel. So what that does is it actually takes away the factor of you having to know how much should I cut off the back of this arrow to get this arrow to accept my compound uh, my compound bow cam. So it takes a lot off. Pretty much what you do is you just cut your arrow to the length and you only cut from the front. Now some people have still tried just out of habit cutting from the rear of the Pro Tour arrow um, to see how it would tune but the problem is because that rear portion of the Pro Tour is perfectly parallel technically that is the thickest part of the arrow so as you cut off the rear portion of the arrow you actually weaken the arrow instead of stiffen it because you're removing more of the thickest part of the arrow and essentially leaving more of the thinnest part of the arrow on the front so unless you had an arrow that was just way too stiff for you, and that would be really be the only scenario where you'd want to cut from the rear of a Pro Tour, um, you you really only want to cut from the front. It's just it takes a lot of the thinking out of it, um, makes it a lot simpler, and you know the reason a lot of you know to get back to the original question, the reason um, a lot of compound archers are still shooting the X-10s is because they've, they have figured out a combination that worked the correct way and they're probably, um, they're happy with how that arrow is shooting. Um, so they probably aren't really feeling like they need to, um, to make many changes there. So I have arrows that I shot, um, 10 years ago, I've got a lot of X-10s that are still set up where, you know, they've got one and a half or two inches off the rear portion of the arrow and they shoot really, really good that way. Um, but I can get the same results with the Pro Tour. Um, so if you are a compound archer, the Pro Tour is definitely going to be the best option for you. And um, it's actually the arrow that I used um during the test that I did down, uh, I did a video um, with the Pro Tours with a, a test for the Hill Method, which is a method that I created um, probably over 10 years ago now, um, which was a method that I created for tuning. Um, and I named it the Hill Method just simply because the whole process to that method, it was based around tuning X10s, 100%. Um, it was what I found when I was trying to learn how to tune X10s and how to cut off the rear of the shafts. Um, a lot of people weren't really paying attention to when they made those cuts off the rear, how much it would change the horizontal impact line, which is you know, really what was showing me true spine um, or spine comparison between the arrows when I had um, the, the rear cut exactly right, the arrow would have the smallest horizontal impact line of any of the combinations, uh, which is why I shortened it down to the HIL method, H-I-L, horizontal impact line. 
Um, but with the Pro Tour, you essentially just try to figure out what spine's best for you, which um, during my test, what was nice about it was I'm still really on the bubble of should I shoot a 380 spine or should I shoot a 420 spine. So what I did was I actually shot a 420, a 470, and a 380 and plotted the difference in the horizontal impact uh, line. And you can clearly see, and I have a picture on Instagram that I posted. Uh, I'm standing in front of a, a full feed of target, and I wrote on the target hill method, um, and I actually did a circle of the gapping distance between uh, those three different spines and how they actually grouped. And you can see that there's a very clear um, horizontal impact variance. Uh, and then you can see how small the proper one is. So really with Pro Tours, um, what's nice about them if you're starting from scratch is that you're able to just find the spine that's best for the, for you and then you can fine tune your hill method either with slight variations in the poundage of your bow or slight variations in your point weight. Uh, but it takes a lot of the guesswork out and it takes out um, it takes out a lot of the um, well a lot of the expense and education that you needed to have uh, years ago uh, when doing that. So hope that helps you out, dude. Um, you're in Hong Kong, so I hope you uh, can listen to this podcast and understand it and should be good to go. Um, so the next question here is from, let's see, I think it's A. Boyer 35 just saying that he put a brand new set of strings on his Carbon Defiant and what's my opinion on speed knocks? Are they worth putting back on? So the speed knocks are what you'll find a lot of companies right now when you get a brand new bow out of the box, um, it's going to have speed knocks on it, uh, meaning there's brass knocks uh, clamped on your string towards, towards your cams. Um, and the numbers or the size of those weights um, are really going to vary. And that's because if the company does it the correct way, um, what they do is they actually take a bow, put some weight on it, shoot it through a chronograph. Or Well, first they should shoot it through a chronograph with no weight on it. Then they put some weight on there, shoot it through a chronograph. If the speed goes up, they add more weight. If the speed doesn't change, they should take that weight and then they move it to a different location. So maybe they started out with it an inch from the cam, then they moved it two inches from the cam, then they move it three inches from the cam. But ideally, um, the weight at the end of the strings like that, towards the, towards the end, um, if it's done correctly, it can help um, increase speed. Um, it also helps decrease string oscillation. So that's pretty much the residual vibration that's left in the string. Now, if you go too far and you have too much, it'll actually increase uh, your vibration again or your noise, and it'll start to quickly decrease the speed. Um, so you really want to, you know, there's some factors there. You have to do some trial and error. You know, you have to kind of take your knocks, you have to put them on, add more, and shoot it through a chronograph each time you make a change. And once that chronograph starts to go slower, you know you've kind of gone too far. Um, so there is some trial and error to it. 
um, with what you're talking about and the fact that the the string company that you're referring to um, has sent just a standardized, you know, they have standardized speed knocks. And then what I know you're talking about is a piece of, um, they're like rubber knocks and there's about six of them in a chain, um, you know, and they come that way full size. Now put them on there. They may help quiet your bow down and reduce some vibration. And you can check to see if they do increase your speed, which if they do just leave them on. But the other thing too, um, you know, if all of a sudden you see that your speed decreases, then what you may want to do is take a scissor and just cut one of those links off and put it back on your string. Shoot it through. Maybe the speed will go back up then. Um, you know, you don't, the problem with them just sending that one length is you don't really know if that length is, um, or that weight, so to speak, is optimal for what you're doing. So you really need to, uh, to kind of do a little bit of trial and error on that and, um, you'll find what works best for you. The other thing too is once you start to add too much weight on the strings, it can also affect knock travel. So knock travel is um, when you pull your bow back, it forms a triangle at the back. If you could put something on the very tip of that triangle and you could lock your riser into a fixed position, as that triangle travels back forward, it's gonna have a path. Um, it could be perfectly straight from point A to point B. It could slowly rise up as it comes to the back of that point B, which is you know when the bow's at full draw. So in other words, then when you shoot, that triangle kind of slightly goes at a downward angle back to the center point. Um, or it could do a like a snake bend, which is actually pretty common in some cams that don't have decent design. To where as it's pulled back, it, the, the knock point actually goes down low and then it comes back up high, which is why in some people, when you check their arrow flight in slow motion footage, you actually see what's called a snake bend, or that's what we call it anyway. And this is kind of a, a very problematic type of thing that happens. Um, and what the snake bend, um, earlier in this podcast, I talked about paradox, right? I talked about how an arrow bends. Essentially, you want an arrow to where it arcs in the middle and the tip and the tail kind of try to meet one another, but they don't because the arrow is only going to flex so far. And then the arrow starts to bend back the other way. And then when it bends back the other way, again, tip and tail come together or bend towards one another. The center point bends the opposite direction. And then the arrow will do that just a few times as it's stabilizing. Now with the snake bend, when you have a either arrow with a super bad um, match to the bow or when you have a cam design that's you know pretty much junk and uh, doesn't draw back in one continual plane whether it you know if your knock travel just continually sloped down that would be much better than um, even though it's not good um, it would definitely be better than it sloping down than going back up high above the center point because what happens is with that arrow instead of it having one continual drive on the back of the arrow it dips down and goes up and it creates this like literally like the wave of an ocean through your arrow so that this like hump bends at the tail and then bends all the way through the arrow and it looks like someone doing the wave 
with their arms stretched out, right? So, um, you know, if you take your hand, your both your arms are extended out, and you kind of do this wave all the way through. Well, once once that wave goes out the far end, then it returns back and it's bending back in a snake formation um, the reverse way. Um, and it just becomes murderous for consistency on arrow grouping and arrow flight. Um, so, uh, and again, that's one thing that uh, that original pro or the Pro Tour arrow, it's kind of designed to have that fully rear stiff uh, spine part of the arrow so that, you know, if you have a compound bow that has some weird cam design, it actually prevents um, the possibility of that snake bend, which the snake bend was very common. We, back in the day, um, when like, you know, the, some of the first slow motion cameras came out and a lot of the, the coaches would be out on the line with some of the world-class archers, uh, there was a lot of people doing some slow motion footage of just some of the better archers out there, um, trying to, you know, trying to really put, and then they would put that video through, um, like it's the very first versions of Dartfish uh, program, which would let them microanalyze like some of the better archers in the world, their form and so to speak, and then also how their bows were tuned and reacting. And some of the people that had big variations in their ability to perform, um, I've seen a lot of that um, originate from the improper arrow flight and the snake bends. Uh, that were coming out of their arrows. So the Pro Tours, because the whole center to rear portion of the arrow is the stiffest part, you can minimize that a little bit uh, as well. So, um, you know, the the knock points themselves, if you add weight to, say, there's a ton of weight on the top of your string, what happens is, and then not equal main weight on the bottom... What can happen is that that portion of your string can go slower through the air than the bot than say the bottom portion of your string, and that'll actually start to unnaturally change your knock travel. Um, so that's why, for the most part, they're even top and bottom. However, um, you can actually use that as a counteractive agent, so to speak. Um, if you have a bow that say you're just continually getting like high knock tears or low knock tears, um, and you've done all your homework to know that it's not blade stiffness or arrow spine stiffness or arrow weakness. If you factor that out and it's just like, you know, you've done some slow motion footage to just see like that the knock travel of your cam is really kind of poor, then you can actually, um, change your knock travel uh to get proper tuned by how you put weight on your bow and i know dan mccarthy uh maybe a year ago could have been two years ago now i can't really remember um he actually fixed some of his he had a um he had one of his uh one of his bows that he could not get the i don't know if it was a high knock tear or low knock tear out of the bow um, so what he ended up doing was removing all the weights that the factory had on one side of the string and just leaving them on that opposite side. And uh, he was able to to clear that up. So hopefully you can uh, put all that to use, dude. Appreciate the question. Uh, next question here is from J.D. Happ. Uh, he's saying, hey, Dud, uh, why do I seem to shoot low when I pull 
through with my knock to it. So um, I guess this could be a couple things. One, um, as people are shooting uh, a handheld release for the first time, because you're actually trying to pull that elbow and pull through, um, how your form is actually set up plays a big part in that. And once again, your account is locked. It's private, so I can't even look at your shooting form. So once again, you're a perfect candidate for if I was answering this question and you were one of the members, I'd be able to pull up your profile right now, look at the pictures of you shooting, um, or possibly a video, um, if that's something that you'd signed up for. Uh, I'd be able to actually watch your shooting technique right now and tell you what's going on as well as show everybody else. Um, but if you're overextended, meaning your draw length is just a little bit long to where the tip of that elbow is starting to point down, what happens is even though you're pulling through properly with that release, since the tip of the elbow is down as that release breaks or as you're finishing uh, or as you're I shouldn't say finishing the shot because the shot hasn't happened, but as you're right on that verge of making the release break um, or, you know, depress the trigger till the shot breaks, um, your hand is already moving in a downward position, which essentially is going to bring that string down and then the arrow goes down, the arrow goes through. The other thing too is some people, depending on the, direction of their arrow, uh, their elbows and their posture as they're pulling through, you know, if they're not just learning to pull through properly with the rear portion, you're kind of mirroring, you know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So what happens is when you're at full draw, you start to try to like mirror that movement and that pulling movement in the back, but you're mirroring it with the front. So as the shot breaks, your front bow goes down and away from you. And, you know, there, there are fractions of a second where that arrow is still, um, still on the string. So that motion can push it that way. So you really want to focus on having a T formation be set up to where, you know, the pulling motion is more in the only the rear portion and the front hand is almost kind of in a position where it's going forward to the target. And that's why a lot of, uh, a lot of recurve archers, they have this dramatic push and follow through and the front hand tips down to the ground and they've, they're they following through because um, a lot of the recurve coaches, because their arrow is kind of on their string longer, they are even, they have even more importance to follow through in direction of their front hand and and uh how it how it affects the path of the arrow so they as they're pulling through they're actually also expanding and pushing forward to where when that bow goes off they're pushing their hand to the target and then their hand is they kind of they have an exaggerated tip i don't like how much they tip their bow forward but they push the hand to the target tip the bow forward and then the bow kind of falls forward. It looks a little bit too much for me. Um, but they have that proper follow-through. So when some people are learning back tension for the first time, they're pulling and like kind of, they're almost doing like a row motion. So you're almost like 
elbows are trying to go back behind your back to meet elbows, so your bow hand's going down and away, down and away. Otherwise, the other problem that's very common too is just people trying to watch where their arrow hits. Uh, this happens really common with people that have a really good group. I actually do this with some students as a test. Um, they'll have a really good group going, and then I'll put them on the spot and say, uh, say something like, you know, oh man, you got an awesome group. You put one more in there, that thing's going to be like a two-finger group. And all of a sudden, here it comes. They shoot one, and it's just low. <laughs> and they look at me, and they're like, dude, that was a perfect shot. And it's like, okay, well, actually what happened is you wanted to see where that arrow went so bad that as your release shot and your release broke, your rear elbow comes down, your front elbows, or your front hand is dipping down because you're wanting to see over the top of that riser and you're wanting to watch that arrow uh, go in to the target. So you end up essentially dropping the arm, so to speak. Um, so it's either pull through motion or it's dropping the arm. And that's if we're talking specific to form, I kind of bypass the most obvious of all of it, which would be simply, um, the way your, the way your, um, your release opens on the knock to it versus the way it opens on your old release. Um, how that hook or jaw opens, um, can actually change how the loop comes out of the bow so uh you know one release could shoot a little bit right of the other or one re release could shoot a little bit higher could shoot a little bit low uh, so if you're comparing it to like where your old one was i would say um you know that could easily be the case and, but if you're sighted in and you're just saying as i'm shooting my knock to it um you know i have i i shoot low a lot then I would say that's definitely it. You're you're not anchoring solid. The other thing too is if you take your mouth and you like some shots, you really relax your jaw to where your jaw's way lower and your mouth's almost open. Um, versus when you're you know you've kind of got a firm face and your jaw's up tight and your and your elbows up tight. Like if you're in that position, well, you know that once again is is totally different uh, altogether as well. So. Uh, pay attention to that stuff, and uh, hopefully um, it'll work out for you. Um, let's see. This next question is pretty long. Uh, I'm just going to read through it here quick. It's from 45 um, Mitch Alt 89 or Mitch Alt. I don't know. I don't, when you abbreviate so much, I don't know what all that means. But hi, John. Hope you had a great time in Europe. I want to know what arrow setup you would recommend for me shooting outdoors. Uh, okay, arrow questions are always loaded, but I'll do my best um, to answer this. So my setup is a Hoyt Podium X Elite. Um, uh, Elite 40 with spiral cams. So you've got XVS cams on there. Oh, no, you're shooting a podium. Sorry. 31-inch uh, draw length, 59 pounds. Okay. Um, so you pretty much have my bow. I got to remember what I was shooting with that. Um, freak show, long bracket behind the riser, standard 10 blade, set about 33 degrees. Starts sounding a lot exactly like my line, but you're shooting Black Eagle. So you're shooting Black Eagle X Impact uh, 350 cut at 29 inches with 110 grain point, giving me around 12% FOC. Um, do you think... 
that the arrow is light. It's 343 grains. Well, you know, if you're shooting a target arrow, um, this target arrows and hunting arrows are two totally different things, right? So um, your FOC is good. You know, on a target arrow, I really like to, to have that arrow that's, you know, 11% for sure or higher. Um, so you're within that realm. You have it, um, and the fact that you're at 343, it's a bit light. So obviously you're going to be fast. Um, you know, you're, but you do have the 40 inch podium. So you're going to have a little bit bigger brace height. So you're probably wanting to get a little bit of that speed back. I'm normally over the 400 grain mark, but you got to remember for me, um, you know, I was always, I kind of always got, uh, got used to shooting right in that you know 280 mark for speed and i still keep my speed for my hunting bows around that 280 mark so i've just learned the feel of that speed and how fat you know my string how that my string comes off the release i kind of learned that really well um and just the sound of my arrow impacts i can really judge distance just based on the length of time my arrows in the air because i've listened to that speed for so long um so you're definitely going to be faster, you know, with that lighter arrow. And I guess at that point, uh, you know, you you have options because you've only got 110 grain points. So depending on how that arrow is reacting to that particular setup, if it's just driving tacks and pounding tacks, then I would say, um, you know, I wouldn't worry about it. You're obviously got a great setup going. Um, but, the thing that I would probably try to do would be um, see what happens when you do add some point weight to that arrow and increase that FOC. Do your groups starting to open up or can you maintain the accuracy that you have right now and it stays really shooting awesome even though you're increasing your point weight because you know that that way you're able to increase your overall weight and um, which, you know, if you're at 343 now, you know, if you went up to say a 130 or something on your point weight or, you know, or even a 120, um, you know, your FOC is going to budge up just a little bit. And then now at least you're over a 350 grain arrow. Um, and remember, you're only shooting 60 pounds. So, um, you know, it's not like you're shooting at IBO, you know, an IBO setup. So, I would try to increase uh, your point weight some. That's an easy fix. I mean, it's super easy to increase point weight. Just put some new ones in and see how it, how it starts to change. I mean, if, obviously, if it starts to get better, then you're going then, then to be like, okay, well, I want, I want to try to go even heavier. Or if I don't know about those Black Eagle arrows, but if you don't have the ability and point weight to go any heavier than the 120s, then but your groups did get better then at that point it's telling you that that arrow is actually performing better as it weakens just a little bit versus where it is right now and uh at that point you have the option to maybe increase your poundage another pound um you know if you're worried about being legal for you know for like world archery events you're at 59 pounds so you still have some lee room there and uh yeah, I mean, that would be a great starting point. So uh, hopefully that helps you out, dude. Um, appreciate the question. I'm going to go ahead and jump off this podcast. Uh, I've got a, it's 8.30 and it, uh, I have to run this morning and I got to look here.
just to tell you, yesterday, I mean, it was so freaking hot. It's crazy. Crazy, crazy how hot it was. Right now, yeah, excessive heat warning until 8, until 8 p.m. Yeah, it's supposed to be um, over 100 degrees today. Jesus, it's 86 right now. With 82% humidity. <laughs> okay, I gotta go. I gotta go get my run in uh, before I can no longer suck oxygen in my lungs. Uh, but I'll come back. I'm gonna jump through these uh, questions, answer through more of these, and uh, appreciate everything. Sorry for the delay in, in uh, getting out podcasts, you guys. I had a trucker honk at me the other day. He was like kind of honking and waving, so um, I didn't know if he was pissed at me or if he was uh someone listening to a knock-on podcast but uh for all the truckers out there trying to cover some road miles uh we we appreciate you guys and uh thanks for everything you guys are doing to support us uh we'll talk at you later knock on everybody be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com